Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Katie. And we're the founders of the Best Life Moms Club and hosts of That Pregnancy Podcast. We are two moms with a bunch of kids under the age of three. Five to be exact. And we know firsthand how hard it is to be a mom. So we're talking about all the topics that no one ever talked to us about. And not only is it hard being a mom, but it can be lonely and isolating, which is another reason why we're here to help moms like you know that you're not alone. Now, it's important to know that we are not doctors or medical professionals in any way. So always talk to your doctor or healthcare provider with any questions or concerns about your health or the health of your baby. We are moms sharing our lived experience and talking about all things pregnancy and life as a mom. So let's have a chat. Hello and welcome to That Pregnancy Podcast. This week we're talking about the four common struggles being pregnant during a pandemic. We have a very special guest this week, my mom, Sherry Maxwell, who is a psychotherapist. Before we get started, Katie has a very special announcement. So take it away, Katie. Oh, way to bury the lead on that one. So I guess this is the first time that I've ever done it, but I'm excited and happy to announce that I am pregnant and expecting uh, baby number three. Yay! Yay! I've never actually announced a pregnancy like publicly, so this is a pretty big milestone for me. <laughs> yeah, you can keep this one a surprise. Yeah, no. It'll be a surprise for some people, but not for our listeners. Yeah, so <laughs> you're gonna inside scoop. So with that being said, let's get started because kind of talking about this week, because you are pregnant and yeah. there have been some struggles that you've been feeling. Yeah, I'm in my second trimester. I have been, I like many other women, I have been struggling with the reality of being pregnant in a pandemic and some of the limitations that that kind of puts on your life. Yeah, so I, like so many women, have been struggling. So we came up with four common struggles that we were seeing between you and some friends we know that are also pregnant. Yeah. And because it's dealing with kind of a sensitive topic, we thought it would be good if my mom came on just to kind of talk about the mental health aspect of all this. So yeah. welcome, mom. Hi, Sherry. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. Nice to be here. So number one, we have dealing with additional stress and anxiety. So we did a podcast about anxiety, oh geez, a while ago now, and was, my mom was on it. Yeah, and it was at the beginning of the pandemic. It was, like when yes. When things started to really ramp up, because we did talk about the struggle of just general anxiety in a pandemic. Yeah, and we just thought that it was important because people were already starting to feel that way. Well, now it's been, what, 100 days? Oh, well over 100 like days. Over 100 days since mm -hmm. this all started. So some people are feeling better and some people are, you know, still feeling the same and some people are feeling probably even more anxious about it. Yeah. We just thought that we should talk about the additional stresses and anxiety now that Katie's been experiencing them and some of our friends have been. Yeah. So one of them is doctor's appointments. Do you want to talk a bit about your doctor's appointments? Yeah. So one of the biggest stressors that I've had and I've really struggled with is kind of dealing with the anxiety, the unknown, the stress of not being able to see a doctor. So 
this week, I was the first time that I saw a doctor and I'm 16 weeks. And that was the first time that I've seen anybody and spoken to anybody. And that was really, really hard for me. You know, I've talked about my experience with my first pregnancy, which was a miscarriage. And I don't think that stress or that anxiety of being in being pregnant and then experiencing a loss ever kind of leaves you. And so there was a fear. I also didn't get a 12-week ultrasound because they were trying to limit people's exposures. You had an earlier ultrasound. I had an ultrasound. My dating ultrasound was, uh, I was nine weeks and four days because I was like, I don't think I'm pregnant. Oh, maybe I am. And I just kind of kept putting it off and not really believing it. And then I was like, oh, I better take a test. It's been a couple of months. Um, <laughs> and I was pregnant. Um, so I guess I had a later dating ultrasound because I was nine and a half weeks. But so that's still it. like three weeks until you're starting your second trimester. Like a lot can happen in three weeks. Yeah. You go from having a pole, like the fetus, I actually, I think it's still considered an embryo but there's poles still um, at nine weeks. It does not look tail. like a baby. <laughs> no, there's still a tail and like a pole. And uh, at 12 weeks, it looks like a baby. So I didn't have a 12-week ultrasound, which is pretty common and would have been a good reassurance to actually know that everything was going okay. And Especially, especially when you had a miscarriage previously. Well, I think there's... Right? Well, yes, but I think a lot of people experience stress of not being able to you know, the unknown of, do I know everything's going okay? I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think that's only limited to people with miscarriage. So, so your fear is basically that by not getting in to see the doctor in the ultrasound, it's that there could be something that's gone wrong. Yes. That was mainly because my experience with my miscarriage was I didn't kind of have that, like I was, I guess it would be called a missed miscarriage where I didn't have any bleeding or anything and I went for an ultrasound and they didn't find a heartbeat and my body retained. And so I had to go through the steps to pass the pregnancy. So that's kind of always in the back of my mind of like, what if my, ba- what, what if my body has lost it and is still holding on to it? Um, so that's, that's going to heighten it for you. Yeah. And that's been really hard. And yesterday or yesterday when I was at my doctor and it was just my regular GP, I knew that it wasn't going to be, you know, a very informative appointment because of it just being a general appointment. But just really, you, just, that, you just want the Doppler. I want the Doppler. <laughs> but I needed to sit down and talk to someone. That's what like it was just that kind of process of sitting and being seen because I hadn't had that happen yet. And just like I instantly felt better, like a weight had been lifted off my chest that I had been to a doctor and he had heard my concerns, heard the heartbeat for the first time. Oh, yeah, second time, because I did quickly, quickly hear it two weeks ago when I had an accident, was in the hospital, um, (laughs) in the emergency room. Um, But that was, they just checked it. And I didn't really get to hear much of it, but I actually go to Katie's Instagram for pictures. (laughs) Yeah, go to Katie underscore BLMC. Yeah. (laughs) But um, it's been hard. And I know, like, I have friends who are also been struggling, who are pregnant now. And one of the big things is not being able to take their partner to doctor's appointments or to ultrasounds. That's been really hard That's for them huge. as well. Especially ultrasounds, right? Like the dad wants to see the baby at the 12 week when you're just, well, in Canada, it's a 12 week. Sometimes in the States, I know they'll do like a six week ultrasound, but 
generally where we are, it's 12 weeks, kind of the first one. And then, you know, some people want to find the sex at the 18 to 20 week one. And then you're not going to be able to do that right there, right then. You'll have to, I guess, put it in an envelope if you want to know what the sex is and find out at the same time, right? It changes things. Yeah, I think that's also, it's a challenge for the spouse as well. And that's not something that maybe they're able or they feel like they're they're in position to articulate that they're, they feel like they're missing out on something. So I think when, when you're in situations like this where everything is different and everything has changed, you have to look at whatever you can do to modify it to, to include the partner or to put your own mind at ease. And so what kind of occurs to me, so I'm sitting here kind of thinking, so what could you possibly do to kind of include your partner in, in with the ultrasound? Now, I know, Amanda, when you were pregnant and had your ultrasound done, um, Keith was your husband was not around they wouldn't allow us to video it now I don't know if they're allowing that these days or not or not video but to um, FaceTime. even FaceTime yeah. yeah I still don't think they're doing that at least here they're not if the you could always check to see if they've changed those restrictions just due to the times that's a really good point because wh- what are they going to say they're going to say no right the worst thing you do if you ask and they yeah. say no is that they're going to say no. They're, you're not yeah, really... and I don't know if one clinic or one ultrasound um, clinic would be different than the other even. I don't know whether that's a regulation on Ontario. I don't know. Which I, I think it's for that company. It might be possible to ask about that. If you don't ask, you don't get. Exactly. Never hurts to ask. The other thing that occurs to me is you usually get a, a photo that you take home with you, correct? Yep. At the very least, maybe your husband, your partner could come wait in the car so that they're at least the first one. They're there when you get out and to celebrate it that way. As I say, you've got to modify what you're doing because it's not going to happen the same way. That's true. To kind of let go of the past standard and expectations. You can still feel sad about it. Yeah, you can still feel sad. Don't ever deny your feelings because then that just blocks things and doesn't tend to help. So yeah, acknowledge that they're there but find different ways to modify it to at least get that connection that that you're looking for when it comes to the the concerns and i totally get it i mean i remember many years ago everything you know becomes a concern i think the the only thing you can do or one of the things that you can do is to write down what the concern is and then write the evidence for that concern and the evidence that does not support that concern. So in other words, if you're concerned that something's, you know, maybe the baby's heartbeat's no longer there, then you would write down the evidence that supports it, which quite often there really isn't any because you haven't had the heartbeat yet. So it's not really um, moving, et cetera, yet. And then the evidence that, that does not support that, which is, you're probably, you might still be having, you know, morning sickness, or you might be having, you know, tender breasts, or any of the other symptoms that say, hey, I'm pregnant, you know, there's been no loss of blood or anything like that. And so all of those things are all evidence that go, hey, no, I'm still pregnant, and it's all going okay. That's really good. Well, because I remember before you could feel the baby kick, like, you're always like paranoid. And then after the baby kick, you're like, the baby hasn't moved for a bit. And I remember 
us sitting in my backyard and you going home and drinking <laughs> chocolate milk, which you don't drink, you don't eat sugar. No, and I don't and drink then, milk either. Yeah. And so you went home and you drank chocolate milk because it was in the fridge. This was a thin, right? Yeah. And um, then uh, you ended up feeling sick afterwards. But I was you- so sick. Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. I was so sick. And then I went into labor that night. I oh have gosh, that. that's I, funny. Yeah, so that sickness could have been like my body being like, "Okay, we're gonna clear you out because you're gonna you're in labor." And Peter was like, "I know why you're why you have diarrhea. It's because you drank chocolate milk and you're dead inside now." <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, "No, no, like I might be in labor." And he was like, "No, you drank chocolate milk. You don't oh. have a tolerance for dairy." <laughs> but it, we're always paranoid, right? Yeah. Like. And then even after you give birth, there's other things to be paranoid about. So I know motherhood, it just doesn't go away. Right. (laughs) But mom's right. Regardless, you can always make that list of why you think that and reasons why it wouldn't be. Yeah. Looking for that proof, that, that proof that you can go by. No, that's really, yeah, that's a really easy thing to do with yourself, but like to really make your stop kind of get you out of your head almost. Yeah. To me, that sounds well, like getting does, out of your it head. Show, it shows you the reality of the situation. So your logical brain starts to kick in. Yeah. That, that anxious brain, right? So you're basically calming yourself down with actual evidence. And it's typically better to write it down because you can then see it. And mm-hmm. it, I use this all, that technique a lot with clients. And it's kind of humorous. Actually, I just used it with somebody today. And uh, they, they had this situation that they were quite anxious about. And then I said, okay, so what's your evidence? And it was dead silence because it was actually a phone session and it was dead silence. And they, they went, I, I don't have any, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they go, yeah, really, there's no evidence that really supports that, is there? So yeah, but it, it gets really quite helpful, particularly it, to write it down. Yeah. It gets you, out, like you said, it gets you out of your emotional side and into That's your right. logical side. So our second one on our list is processing milestones and celebrations. Yeah. This is a big so, one especially for first-time moms. Yeah, mom and I actually just went to an online baby shower on Sunday for my cousin and his wife. I have one coming up in two and a half weeks for a a listener of the podcast. (laughs) And this is the new reality, right? You can't have a baby shower, so... You have to do it online. You have to have a Zoom baby shower. People are sending you gifts. Kind of takes a bit of that celebration away from you because you aren't gathering with your friends and family. You aren't having the big hoopla. You're not having the Pinterest party, right? Yeah. Or even like that milestone, like what we were talking about before, about having your partner or support person with you at the, you know, the 20-week ultrasound where they do the anatomy scan and you can find out the gender then. Right? Or gender reveals. Yeah. A lot of people do gender reveals nowadays yeah. and you can't have that gender reveal party. Like if you're going to do something, it's you, your spouse, maybe the people in your bubble and you're filming it so you can send it around to everybody else. So yeah. just completely different than what it was pre COVID. And I think this carries on outside of being pregnant as well, because like, think about people like who are missing their birthday, you know, how people have had to transition birthday celebrations online. I know Finn's second birthday, we had our bubble and then we just had the Zoom birthday, blow out the candles, sing happy birthday, watch him eat some cake and then 
Bye. That's all you can do, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but it's hard. It is hard. I think it's important to um, do exactly what people are doing, to to come up with different ways that you can still celebrate. And as we said before, don't deny the emotions. Realize that it's a little sad. But we also have a choice on what we focus on, right? So we can focus on what we can't do or we can focus on what we can do, you know, what we do have available to us. And when I think of, you know, if this had happened, I don't know. Even 10 years ago. Even 10 years ago, yeah. If this had happened a while ago, you wouldn't have the Zoom and you wouldn't have the video. And if we look at it from a perspective of, isn't it great that we at least have this technology that we can still connect with? So it's just kind of shifting it into a more positive perspective. Otherwise, we can just keep pulling down and down and down into the negative. And it, it's hard not to, particularly when we've all experienced it. Like some of these things, for example, you talked about the birthday parties. Some of these children, with the really young, they don't realize what they're missing. And it's not so hard when you don't know what you're missing. But we all know what we're missing. And so it is sad and it is hard. But again, focusing on the what we do have, what we can accomplish, how we can connect, I think that's the best way to kind of lessen that disappointment. So it's okay to feel sad, but then spin it into something positive, right? So like, even though yeah, and you, you know, don't get to do the baby shower the traditional way, you still have all these people that show up on Zoom who love you, all these people who are sending you presents and showering your baby with love the way that they can do it right now. Exactly, exactly. And focusing on on that sort of thing. And yeah, and it's fine. Cry about it. It's nothing. I, I have so many people who will say, they'll even apologize. So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm crying. I was like, that's one of the best. It's a shower for the soul. Let the tears roll. And yeah. then kind of go, okay, so what am I going to focus on here? I'm going to focus this, on this beautiful baby. I'm going to focus on, as you said, Amanda, all these people who love this baby, these beautiful gifts they're getting, you know, how, how wonderful it's going to be. And I think one of the things, too, that occurs to me is it feels in the moment devastating. But five years from now, you'll look back and go, oh, yeah, remember all of that. That wasn't perfect, but it's not going to have the long-term impact on you that it does in the moment. So true. in the moment, everything is just heightened because you're in the moment, but come after giving some space and time, but you come to see it as maybe not as monumental or as life altering as what it what it feels like in the moment is that what exactly. you mean in the moment you it, you're devastated by it it just you're sad it hurts you just want you want to be able to do whatever it is whether it's a gender reveal party or, or a shower but when you think about things that you've gone through in your life that at the time felt like you just about couldn't endure it when you look back at it you go yeah that that kind of sucked but we survived it and you know we made the best of it and there were some good things out of that and really it's going to become a story for your baby hey yeah. you were you were born during the pandemic and this is what we had to do for your shower and this is what we had to do for your gender reveal because we couldn't do this this and this right and the baby doesn't know what they're missing and yeah you feel sad right now but in five years you'll probably look back on it fondly because you're still getting the love distantly from people who are important to you. So it's like you need to almost really let go of those expectations of what was normal and 
acknowledge that this is the new normal and approach it as something that's new as opposed to mourning the loss of or what you're missing out on as what is kind of expected. Yeah, I think you have to mourn the loss initially and then you shift into, okay, so this is what we have today. This is our new normal. And it is, I mean, it's hard for all of us just in general. I know for me anyways, I'll have some days that I'll go, Hey, I really, I'm really struggling with this and other days that I'm not. So, you know, magnify it by a thousand because you're pregnant and this is a special time and you have all these, those expectations and dreams for, for being pregnant. And crazy hormones. And hormones. Don't ever forget the hormones because <laughs> as we all know, hormones, aren't they lovely? So number three, we have dealing with loneliness and isolation. This is a huge one. Yeah. Because pregnant or not pregnant, we're all feeling it, right? Yeah, we really are. But it just seems to get magnified when you're pregnant and you have all this stuff going on. And if you have another kid, you have less help. Yeah. If you have an older child, right? It's being cut off from your family and your support network, your friends. If you're working from home on top of either with another child taking care of that, if you're working from home and still just cut off from everybody and not having that day-to-day interaction. And like, it's great that now in Ontario, we have bubbles and stuff, but you're still very limited to who's in your bubble, right? 10 right now, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, 10 people. It's lonely for everyone, but when you're going through this, this monumental time in your life and, you know, you're growing another person, is that more lonely, Right. Because you want to be able to share with your friends and your family. I think a part of it too is when you're when you're pregnant, you kind of look to people within your social circle, friends who have either gone through it or are going through it to be there to support, kind of be your sounding board and to say, you know, it it's that shared experience that you have with someone. And there's a miss there's that missed opportunity of seeing each other and seeing yourself, yourself progress in somebody else's eyes. And, you know, to journey through your pregnancy with someone else is, is something that a lot of women are very fortunate to have. And I think there's a lot of women who are, who maybe have had it in past pregnancies and are not able to have it now, which also brings a little bit more of a challenge and an added, I, feature of being feeling isolated or lonely like they're going through this pregnancy alone even though they might you know have a spouse or a partner somebody there or their immediate family to help them with it but it's that kind of I'm going through this alone which is could be really hard too it's funny you say that because so many women once they have the baby and they're in baby mode they say they feel lonely and a little bit isolated because you're at home you're taking care of the baby like you're not at work, your husband or partner goes to work every day. So so you're by yourself a lot, right? And it's almost like that loneliness that you sometimes feel when you have a newborn, you're feeling it earlier because of all this. That's a very interesting perspective, right? It wasn't until you were talking about that. I was like, hey, wait. Yeah. So it's being, it's being dragged out is what, what's happening. That's a very, very interesting perspective. I hadn't thought of it like that. 
Neither I, did I until just now. So, yeah. <laughs> when greatness just clicked. That does make sense, though, yeah. right? It does make sense. It does. Yeah. And so many women feel this, this, but it's not till after the baby's born. Well, and particularly because pro I'm assuming that uh, being pregnant, women are even more cautious about even doing things like, you know, going for a distancing walk with a friend or you can, of course, do the backyard visits type of thing. And but you're probably even more cautious about who you do that with or how often you do it or that sort of thing. You have to take extra care when you're you're pregnant, right. especially right now. Right. And I think that probably, you know, doing some of those things, though, to connect. I think sometimes when we become cautious, we just about shut right down and, and forget that, yes, it, it is okay if you meet with somebody in your backyard and keep your distance and, you know, have them bring their own snack or their own drinks. You don't have to entertain like you used to entertain or vice versa. If you go to someone else's house, you take what you need and that sort of thing. You absolutely nailed that because I myself have been totally shut down. The kids and I have been in our bubble since March and only did we integrate like my parents and but like I have I really struggle going out now. It really came out the last in the last week that I am really struggling with the idea of interacting with other people. To the point where I'm in tears and, you know, I need to start desensitizing myself and pushing myself to go and be in a space with people that I don't know. Because I, I have been so tight with the kids in the bubble doing what I thought was my part because we were supposed to do that. And now I'm feeling those effects. So you say with people you don't know or even with people you do know and you're distancing? People that I don't know. That's okay. That's what I'm struggling with is strangers being in public with strangers, like walking down the street, even when we're outside. That's very difficult for me. You want to know what? I, I kind of feel the same way because we've been so locked into our bubble. Because like the name, one of the neighbors, we we're walking and he got just a little bit too close and I'm like hurting the children away, <laughs> right? Because you're just not sure how cautious that person has been. Is what it all comes down to. Yeah. Is do right. I trust other people that I don't know that they're doing what they should be doing? Are you more comfortable if you are wearing a mask? Like, do you wear a mask out wherever you go, and that, that you still have the anxiety with that? I am more confident when I'm wearing a mask, and other people are wearing a mask. What I'm not confident is what I, where I get more stressed about is when it's open air and no masks. So an example would be um, this past weekend, we went to the beach. So from my accident, I had 13 stitches in my knee and I got them taken out on Sunday. So Sunday, the kids were like, let's go to the beach. So I got it wrapped up and watertight. I didn't go in the water, but I went to the beach. My parents came, Peter came, the kids and I went. And the beach was busy. Like it was a little busy people were distanced. Like I recognize the logical side of my brain recognizes that there was enough space of, apart, but my head was on a swivel. I was extremely uncomfortable. I had kind of this tightness in my chest of, of like, okay, I don't want to be here. I'm not comfortable because there's people around that I don't know. Um, but we were outside. There was lots of space. Like I recognize that, but the emotional side of me was was not so 
logical <laughs> and calm there, about there it. There may be a fear too that that even though there's space, that someone else might get too close. Yes. Right. That might be some of it as well. Yeah. And and so that's kind of a tough one because you don't know all these people around, and if they're not masked, then you know that's where probably your the angst comes in. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems to me that if you need to within yourself decide what your boundaries are and what your comfort level is. So in other words, if you're going out somewhere and someone doesn't have a mask and they're getting too close to before you even go to the place, know what you're going to say or do. So in other words, it would be kind of rehearsing nearly within yourself that, okay, if they get close, I'll just say, I'm sorry, would you mind backing up a little bit? Or something like that. Because we don't have to be rude about it. And I think we feel better if we're a little calmer when we do it. Right. So sometimes it's about rehearsing what's going to happen. Not so that you're, you're compulsive on it or repetitive of it. But just so that you know what you need to do for you to keep safe. And if you're in those situations where there are a lot of people like that, then you have to decide whether that's a good space for you to be in. Um, whereas most places nowadays, I don't know if all the all areas taken on that they must wear, wear a mask in public. A lot but, of places have. But a lot of places have, yeah. yeah. So in going to stores and that sort of thing, um, you may feel more comfortable. I, I do feel more comfortable when I have a mask on, just mm-hmm. that extra protection. So and then so maybe it's even wearing a mask at the beach. If you if you decide you will go to the beach, yeah. maybe you are more comfortable if you wear a mask while you're there. Yeah, I did say I don't think I'll go later in on a weekend when there's more tourists in town. Yeah, and that would make sense too. Go on yeah. a go go on a Tuesday. Yeah, we go during the week and early morning on a weekend. We're gone before like eleven before people when people start just start showing up. We leave, and I don't go down before sunset. Like I'll go so first. Those, those things all to me sound like wisdom. And determining what you feel are, is a safe, healthy thing for you and your baby and your family, and to set those boundaries and then follow through with them. And there's also a difference for me if you're if you're afraid to leave the house, right? Mm-hmm. Like if there's like you just you just about don't want to get near anybody, then that can affect your life. And that's when you have to look at it and say, okay, so what are we going to do with it? Does that make sense? It absolutely does. I like the idea of having something kind of prepared in case you get, I get into that situation where I feel uncomfortable so that I'm not reactive or emotional and just like calm and everything's kind of level and I can say my piece and know what I'm going to say and handle the situation and give myself the confidence so that I know that I'm going to be able to handle it, not in a reactive, maybe aggressive manner because I'm feeling threatened because I don't want to be a mean person. And I also don't want to be locked away because I think I do have to start integrating myself a little bit more. See? Yeah. And I think that, I think it's about not being quite so reactionary. Yeah. Being prepped so that you don't come across as, you know, being really negative. And yeah. I think a lot of people understand it these days. If you just say, Hey, can you back up a little bit or sorry, I really need the six feet or however you want to word it. Yeah. As opposed to, Get back. <laughs> well, sometimes people forget too. They do. I mean, right? you don't realize that you're doing something and then you're like, oh. I'm, I'm very, I try to be very conscious of it. As, as Amanda knows, like I'm, I'm very careful with, with the different situations. 
And you had to ask somebody on the weekend. To I back did. Up. I asked somebody to back up. I said, to, I said, could you give me, could you give us six feet, please? And he went, oh yeah, okay. And I think he, he backed up and, and it, it was fine. But I've even noticed that if I'm standing talking to somebody and, and we're keeping our distance and slowly I, I'll, I'll go, wait a minute, I'm, I'm moving towards him because we have this natural distancing that we do, which is not six feet, right? When we're talking yeah. to somebody, when we're interacting. You naturally get drawn together yeah. to have that conversation. Exactly. And so as Amanda said, it's, it's not that people are necessarily intentional with it. They just forget for a minute. Mm-hmm. I ran into an old friend last week and we were talking and we were spaced apart. And she's like, this is kind of awkward talking so far apart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it kind of is, right? But it's the new norm. So our fourth on our list is the fear of giving birth in the hospital. I think this was really, I don't, I, I, from my impression of, you know, discussions that I've read and articles I've read, I think maybe this fear might have calmed a little bit for some people. I know I remember reading a lot about women considering doing home births really at kind of at the beginning of the pandemic where there was a lot of like unknowns about policy and hospital and, and so saying like, I'm, I don't want to be in a hospital I'm just going to give birth at home Um, and those type of discussions. I will say, so I've obviously mentioned that I had an accident. I will say that I was walking when I had this accident. (laughs) I literally just (laughs) stepped and fell and I ripped my knee open and had to have an ambulance come and pick me up and take me to the hospital to the emergency room. So we just talked about how I feel so uncomfortable in space, like with people that I don't know right now. It was not even a thought in my mind. I had no stress or no concern about going into the hospital. The paramedics were wearing masks. They put a mask on me. All the doctors, nurses had masks on. I had absolutely no concern about being in a hospital during a pandemic. It was probably the most comfortable I've been, which is ironic because of how much pain I was in and everything. But I was so at ease with the fact that I was in a hospital. And I, was, I, I remember thinking, I'm very surprised because I've, you know, you think of a hospital and people during a pandemic and it being the home of the sick. I had no concern about it whatsoever. I, I had a mask on, everybody had mask on. I knew the place was clean. So did you have concern before you actually were at the hospital? Did, it, did the thoughts cross your mind prior to that? No. I was like, oh, I just have to go to the hospital because I knew I was going to be wearing a mask. And I, hospitals are set up to deal with sickness. This is, this is my thought process is that hospitals are set up to deal with sickness. They clean, like their cleaning regimes, they're present and they're a lot better than general public. My impression is, and I think at this point in the pandemic, I think hospitals have probably built a really good response in level of cleaning, just my opinion. Yeah, their protocol um, has to is must be so incredibly strict now. Yeah. So well, and I think they're checking everyone when they come in too. Yeah. So the paramedics, they took my temperature while I was laying on the ground and they put the mask on me. Um, and they took my temperature a couple of times. They took my blood pressure and then, you know, they get ask you the questions of, have you traveled? Do you have a cough? Um, you know, they go through all those questions that are, are pretty prevalent everywhere when you go in somewhere. 
And I had to answer that a few times. The nurses did the exact same thing once I was admitted to the emergency room. Yeah. And the nurse took like the nurses took my took my temperature. And even going, I had to go a couple of times just to have the stitches checked and everything. And I had to go back to the emergency room to see the doctor that I had had seen. And again, totally fine. No concern. And there were other people, you know, in the waiting room, but everybody had a mask on. You're asked the same questions. You know, there was all this screening going on. So I, uh, I was very at ease about having to go to the hospital. Yeah. And it's because I feel like hospitals are meant to be dealing with the sick. Obviously, you know, a pandemic level illness and virus is not of the norm and what they were prepared for. But at this point, I think they have so many uh, protocols in place to deal with someone who is sick or showing symptoms and they go into isolation. And I, it wasn't even a concern. Well, and when you go in, they take your temperature. Like, they're not just sending COVID people into the main area of the hospital. Like, I know in Cambridge, they have to go to a specific spot. Yes, you go to a door, like a certain wing. And someone told me that it's actually the old wing of the hospital, which is probably where we gave birth. They have it all set up for COVID so that it's separate from everything else. Yeah, it's totally isolated. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that every hospital is like this, but I think if you inquire at your local hospital, they might be able to tell you what the the setup is and that'll probably make you feel better. Yeah. And I think too, with the fact of like giving birth during a pandemic and in a, if you're going to give birth in a hospital, if you talk to your doctor, they will know how many active cases there are in your region, in your area, and then within your hospital as well. And I don't think there's anything wrong with asking your doctor, what are the, what is the protocol if with active cases, will I be in maternity, like in labor and delivery, will I be close to someone? What happens if a mother has it? Knowledge is power. So why not ask your doctor? They will have the answer for you. They know. So ask, it's not top secret. Yeah, I think those are, are great ways to ease your concerns is to, to find out exactly what it's it's like there. And even though in our our minds we might go, Well, I'm pretty sure it's gonna it's all fine, as you said, Katie, when you went to see the doctor, just to have that professional saying, This is the way it is, just eases you that much more. So I think that's a great idea and, and to to check it out as you said, Amanda as to exactly what is the protocol, what do they do, what's it look like, what can I expect? Because I think that just kind of prepares us. And it, and then our minds don't go off, right? Then we've well, got the logic that we can combat and, and that, that the illog- illogical part of us. Well, that's actually, too, the fear, what you had touched on about the fear of, of knowing what to expect. I think the pandemic has changed so much of our world and our society, including what giving birth looks like, asking about what will happen when I go into labor, what will be the steps, can my partner come in with me, or does it have to wait until I'm admitted, will I have to wear a mask during labor and delivery, Um, you know, those are genuine fears that women have, and it, rather than letting your mind spiral and run away with all these what-ifs, I think it's better to ask those direct questions and finding out so that you can prepare yourself. Because if you go in, you think you might be in labor, but you have to be assessed and your partner can't go with you, then you can prepare yourself for being in your room in, you know, being in a room by yourself for a couple of hours to find out if you are in labor or you're going to be sent home. 
so that you're not going in thinking your partner is going to be there with you like they usually can be or your support person can be with you and then being turned away at the time or knowing that once your support person or partner is you're admitted and your partner is with you that they can't leave so that you come prepared for things for them as well do you need to bring snacks change of clothes so those type of things so that you're prepared for the whole situation of giving birth in essentially an institution that's changed pretty dramatically from the standard of what most women are experience outside of a pandemic. That's true. And I think just that, that preparedness and that knowing gives us a little bit of a sense of control. And let's face it, we all want to be able to control the situation a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so knowing that just helps you to, to release the anxiety by having a little bit more of a understanding and sense of control. Thank you so much for coming on, Mom, AKA Sherry Maxwell. If uh, you want any information on my mother, you can visit her website, counselingincambridge.ca. And uh, thanks for the bonus counseling session for me. (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) 